Praise the Lord. Good to see you. We'll continue to learn about living faith as we focus on another example of encountering Jesus. And let's dive into the passage. And I pray that the scripture will speak to you, to your heart, ever so powerfully, that we will never be the same, but we will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Amen? Now, here we see another powerful encounter of Jesus with those who are in need. Uh, this time was a demon-possessed man. Uh, by the way, the demon possession was not just an ancient thing. Uh, it happens even in the 21st Western high-tech societies like America. Just look at what is actually happening in today's culture in our nation. Many demonic things, I believe, are happening everywhere. People are more lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness or religiosity, but denying its power. Well, these are, I believe, the demonic works that we face today in our nation, just like Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. With that in mind, let's zoom into this man in the tomb and his brokenness, and perhaps we can learn something about us, about, who, about Christ, and about the world that we're living in. First of all, when you look at this man, you realized he was unclean. Look at verse 2 and 3. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Impure spirit he had within him. He was with impure spirits. In fact, the demons are often described in the Bible as impure, sinful, dirty, unclean spirits. And you will see that over and over and over again. And those who are possessed by the demons obviously are dirty, impure, sinful, and you know it. Did you know sin makes a person impure, unclean, and dirty? That's why when you fall into sexual sin, you are sexually impure. Mentally impure when you are have a sinful thoughts and obviously spiritually impure. That's how sins impact a person. And those people who decide to live in sin without repentance, well, you will deal with this impure spirits and impureness. Therefore, the idea of forgiveness of sin is not just pardoning of the violations or some things that you have done is actually also the, the idea of cleansing. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, forgiveness was offered 
through cleansing through the blood of the sacrificial animals. The very reason why they had to kill the animal was to, uh, to, to shed the blood was to, to have this meaning of cleansing. In the New Testament, as we know, that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The idea is that the blood of Christ is washing and covering our sin. Instead of we shedding our own blood, he's shedding his blood. And his blood is covering us, cleansing us, washing us. So the idea of forgiveness is not just pardoning of what you have done. Also, it means cleansing and covering of your sin. So the point that I want to make is a sin makes a person impure. That's why we are unclean, in a way, spiritually, when we continue to stay in sin. That's why we need forgiveness. We need cleansing. With that in mind, as the whole world is falling into sin, imagine the condition of this world and all the people in it, spiritually, morally, mentally, even perhaps physically unclean, unclean. And what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's his first condition. Secondly, this man was in bondage. Verse 3 and 4. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And for he... for. For he had often chained hand and foot, but he tore the chain apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Probably the demon possession made him stronger than usual, and he was doing some unnatural things. But one thing that for sure, he was being chained. He's been chained, perhaps not just physically, but spiritually for sure. How do we know? The demons had hold of him. Because ultimately, he was under the power of sin. And he was living in that slavery, the bondage of sin and the demonic power. Imagine that. But do you know that when you sin, you become the slave of it? In John chapter 8, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, listen, my brothers and sisters, Jesus said this, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 3.23, Paul said, For all have sinned, all of us, all the people in the world. After born after Adam and Eve, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all the people in the world, in the history, were and are and will be in bondage of sin, just like this man. Imagine that. Impure, unclean, bondage. We are slaves to sin, the Bible says. In a way, this man depicts the condition of the people living in sin and under the demonic power in today's world. That was his situation, condition. Third condition that he was in, let's continue on. He was hurting Mark verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the stones. Imagine that. Clearly, this man was hurting, crying out of pain, perhaps, 
helplessness, hopelessness, purposelessness, crying out of desperation, he was hurting, not only by the demons, but also even himself. He was suicidal, it seems. He was hurting himself. He was being tortured by the demonic power of the demons. Imagine the life, how hurting it is. But did you know also, when we are in sin, we are hurting. Ultimately, we are hurting ourselves. You might not feel it right away, but at the end, the consequence is pain and suffering. If you don't deal with our sin, it's going to eat us up at the end. It's going to hunt us down. Oh, so many people are suffering, hurting because of the past sins in their lives or someone's past sins upon you. It happens all the time. That's why when God said, repent, be free, don't sin anymore. It means, from his perspective, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. You might get some kind of momentary pleasure when you enjoy the things that you shouldn't do as Christians, but it's going to come back to you. It's going to come at you. It's going to hunt you down. There will be consequences of sin. Unless you repent, you must, therefore, we must repent and we must amend. We must come back to God. If you don't, at the end, you will hurt yourself. Sinful life only leads to hurting yourself at the end. So, let's think about that. God is saying to us, don't sin. It means don't hurt yourself. Fourthly, his condition was actually, he was actually dead. <laughs> Look at verse 2, 3, and 5. When Jesus got out of the boat, the man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. He, this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore with the chain. Night and day among the, night and day among the tombs, he would cry out. Physically, he was not dead, but we know for sure, spiritually, he was dead. Even physically speaking, he was, a good, he was good as dead. He was living among the dead. And the writer of this gospel continues to point out the tombs, tombs, the man from the tomb, man who dwelled in the tomb, man who was amongst the dead. He was living among the dead. Did you ever been to tombs, cemetery? <laughs> I remember when I was in college, you know, I was so blessed and I was praying and just a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of uh, foolish, you know, friends. We felt like we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So we are going to change this campus and we're going to do something about it. So in order for us to be stronger in spirit, you know what we used to do? We used to go to the cemetery next to our university at nighttime and try to like pray there and, and just, 
it was just kind of stupid, I guess foolish behaviors. But one thing that we really wanted to do was, in a way, the tomb represents or the grave represents the deadness, death. He was living amongst the dead. Bible says, the wage of sin is death. And we are all dead spiritually in our transgressions. When we understand what sin actually is, please listen, we are not merely dealing with being bad, but being dead. We are not merely dealing with being bad, but being dead. That's what sin actually is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in, in the trans transpass trespasses and sins. Romans 7, 24 and 25 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the true condition of the world in sin. Whether we like it or not, whether you believe it or not, this is what it is. This world is not just being bad. It's dead spiritually. Dead. No life. Because of the power of sin and the presence of sin. Just think about those around you with that in mind. Your family members, friends, co-workers, even perhaps for some of, your, some of yourselves. Under the power of sin, we are dead. Spiritually first, dead. Physically, we all, the death comes to us all. That's the reality. I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about some of the people around me. Do they know Jesus? Am I really being serious to dealing with the people around me who are actually spiritually dead? I remember conversation with my second daughter, who's seven. Um, she actually asked very good, deep theological questions. And we're talking about Jesus saving the world. What does that mean? Sin, concept of sin and the world full of evil, full of sin. And she got to the point where, wait a minute, we're all sinned. We're all going to be judged. We're all going to be condemned. Or this is my word, but her word was, we're all going to go to hell. <laughs> Seven-year-old language. And she goes, what about my friends? What about my friends in school, friends in gymnastics? I don't want them to go there. What are we doing? What do we do? That was her ask. So I said, why don't you talk about God? But they don't believe every time I say. By the way, she invites them to church. Do you? What are we doing when we know the people around us are spiritually dead? If you truly know this, if you truly understand what 
what sin is actually sin is. What are we doing? Let's move on. This man was unclean, in bondage, hurting, and ultimately dead. Now, what did Jesus do? Let's focus on Jesus now. The hope, the Savior, our Lord. Okay? First, what does he do in response? First, he cleanses. He cleanses. Mark 5, 8, verse 8. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Again, Jesus, the Son of Man, the Messiah, has power to forgive sins and cleanse you from impurity. Remember, that wasn't that a point? Jesus is not just ordinary man. He was actually God himself incarnate. He was the son of man in Daniel chapter 7. He was the man who will rule the world. He is God, the creator, the son of man. Therefore, Jesus has power to forgive sins. That means what? He has power to clean, cleanse you from impurity. Only God can forgive and cleanse you from impurity of sin. Jesus is the only one who, therefore, who can forgive your sins and cleanse you from its impurity. Just like this man came, Jesus said to the spirits, Get out of him, you impure spirit. I shall make him pure again. Again, here. Jesus freed this man from the impure spirit, which means ultimately he cleanses him from the impurities of sin. When you come to Jesus by faith, when you repent of your sin, he forgives your sin. He has a power to forgive your sin and power to cleanse you from its impurities. So idea is when we come to Christ, as we are being forgiven, we become clean, washed. Every Sunday, the Lord's Day, we come and we cry out, Lord, I have made so many mistakes this week. I come in repentance. Oh, he does. He's faithful to forgive your sins. Remember, if you confess your sin, that's what Apostle John said. Because he's just. He's right. And when you do, he cleanses you. He purifies you. Purifies you. I don't know about you. I want to be purified. I want to be clean, crispy clean in my spirit. Amen? Secondly, what does Jesus do? What did he do? He sets him free. And look at verse 6 through 13. I know this is long. It's an interesting process of exorcism, the process of setting him free. He sets to what? The first of all, he says, when he saw Jesus, this man saw Jesus at a distance, he ran and fell 
on his knee in front of him. Some commentary was saying he was kind of worshiping him or he was prostrating, like falling in his, upon his knee, like threw, threw himself before him. But obviously, the demons inside of him react. What do you want from us, Jesus, the Son of Most High? It's not really him talking now. The, the demons takes over, and demons kind of bargain, like asking, begging Jesus, do not throw us into the abyss. Do not incarcerate in the prison down there. By the way, there is. The Jude talks about it. Do not let us be somewhere. Please send us to the pigs. Jesus said, what is your name? Legion. Legion means we are many. It's not just one spirit he was possessed with. He was possessed by many spirits. How tormenting that will be, right? And Jesus says, get out of there. And all these pigs, swines, they, they all went down to the hill and they were dead. We know the story. I'm not going to get into all the, the theological points in this process, but it is interesting, the process of exorcism. And Jesus set this man free from the power of demons because he has a power to do so. He is God. As a matter of fact, demon acknowledged it. You're the son of the Most High, meaning you're the, the Most High God. We cannot but to obey you. By the way, Satan and demons, they must obey God. Amen? There's nothing they can do without God's allowance, permission. God is in perfect control of this world. He's the highest authority. No one messes with God. He is God. There is no opposite of God. Some people think that, or some, you know, Hollywood think that the opposite of God is, is the devil. Just good and evil and yin and yang. No, there's no opposite of God. There's no one like God. He's transcendent being. There's nothing. No one can compare to God. He is God. In Jesus, he is God. Now, Jesus can set you free, my brothers and sisters, from the power of the enemy. He can set you free from sin and its power. He can set you free from the torments of the devil or demons. He can set you free from the torment, the hunting of the past. He can set you free from all the shames in the, in the past. He can set you free. Interestingly, in verse 6, when he saw Jesus from the distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Why would he come to Jesus? I mean, he was demon-possessed. Clearly, the demons in him were terrified of Jesus, and demons would not allow him to come near Jesus, right? Yet he did. Perhaps it was the last act of this man's desperation to be free. Maybe he saw something and something activated in his heart and said, I got to get to him. And he's the only one who can set me free from this demonic power, from this impurity of sin. Right? Maybe this was the act of the desperation, the last act that he could do. Thank God that Jesus was passing by. Imagine if he, Jesus never went to that town. He would never be free. <laughs> 
But anyway, perhaps out of mercy, the power of Jesus allowed this man to approach him, maybe in spite of the demon's reluctance. But we don't know for sure what actually happened. But the fact of the matter is this. This man somehow approached Jesus and he got set free. Only way for the people to be free from the power of sin, my brothers and sisters, only way for you to be free from the power of sin and death and the devil and the demonic power is to come to Jesus. You can go to a psychiatrist. He's, she or he cannot help you. You can go to the counselors. It's not going to help you. Ultimately, you come to Jesus. You come to him. You seek his word. You threw your throw yourself before him and see what happens. Even some of the Christians, when something happens, when something bothers you, oh, I got to go to the Christian counselors or I got to seek this thing or maybe it's a my mental issue, maybe this and maybe that. Perhaps it might help you. I'm not saying it is not going to help you. But first thing that we must do First reaction should be what? We need to come to Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, you weary and burden. I shall set you free. My burden is light. Come, I will heal you. As Christians, if you are truly believing in Jesus Christ, you are the child of God. You are sons and daughters of God. And you have access to God. And you can come to Jesus anytime. Why do you choose to go to the doctors first? Why do you go choose to find a way when you have a problems? Why don't you come to Jesus first in your attitude? Wouldn't the loving father will reject you? Perhaps some earthly fathers will reject you and abandon you, but Jesus, the God of Jesus, will never do. The Father of Jesus will never abandon us. Never say no. When you can come to him anytime. At least for I know, my kids, they can come to me anytime. My wife cannot come to me anytime. But my kids can come to me anytime if they need something from me because I'm their daddy. In Christ Jesus, the God is your father. You can come to him. When you come to him, you'll be free. That's what Jesus said. He sets free from sin and its power and its impact, its effect. You can be free from it. What are you waiting for? This man only had to do was, was what? He, couldn't, he, he didn't have a right mind. Mentally, he was just gone. Physically, he was taken over. Spiritually, he was possessed. I mean, look at it. But only thing as a last action of desperation. What did he do? He just fell before Jesus. He came to Jesus. That's all you have to do. Come to him by faith and see what happens. You can hear testimonies after testimonies how Jesus set people free. And it's real. 
you have some kind of addictions of some sinful behavior, come to Him. Keep coming to Him. You, he will set you free. He will teach you step by step how to get out of it. You have a problem with how to relate to people? Come to Him. Amen? He sets free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, It is freedom that Christ has set us free. It is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by yoke of slavery. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, you have a freedom, yet you're not enjoying your freedom. You are keeping going back to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery of sin. That's when we struggle with sin continuously, go back to where we were. The Old Testament analogy or illustration, I'll say, remember all the Israelites, they were in the slavery of Egypt. Finally, the God get them out of there through Moses. But things get tough and hard. They couldn't eat meat. They were eating manna in the desert. They were complaining. It's hot and all that. So they said, we want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to the slave. At least when we were slave, we were eating meat. What are we doing? Are you free? Come to Jesus. He will set you free. Let's move on. Thirdly, you see Jesus not only sets free, Jesus restores. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. They were afraid. Jesus restored this man spiritually, physically, and also socially. Imagine, look at it, he said. Spiritually, he's now restored. The impure spirits, the legion of them, gone. Physically, he restored him too. Look at him. He was sitting there with the clothes on like a normal man. Everybody was shocked. Even socially, now everyone knew he was well now. And also later on, Jesus wanted this man to go back to his hometown to be restored as well. Right? Go, tell them what God has done for you. Not only that, socially, oh, you see people, families, friends, look at me, I'm well. He can be back, going back to his community. However, here we see very interesting reaction of the people. Interestingly, when they saw all these things were happening, 
the Bible says, the passage said, they were afraid. Perhaps it is an expected first response to seeing the power and authority of Jesus over the demons, right? Look at verse 17. Then people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were not amazed to see the power of Jesus freeing this man from demons, but they wanted to what? Jesus gone. They were afraid that Jesus has a power. They saw this Jesus healed and, and, and restored this man that everyone knew about. But the reaction then of the people is this. Jesus, can you please leave? Can you just go? They were not amazed by Jesus and say, wow, you must be at least a prophet or somebody who has a power. Please, Jesus, what is the truth? Or at least heal us. Nothing like that. At least listening to him, nothing like that. Their reaction was what? Can you just go? Why? You know why? Because he was interrupting their business. They thought Jesus was killing all the pigs. By the way, farming the pigs were unlawful under the Mosaic law. So probably these people were possibly Gentile people who are living in this region. The Where they were was actually the citizens of Gentiles were there. So it kind of makes sense. Because Jewish people would not, uh, normal Jews would not uh, raise pigs. They would, they would not be their business. So we know there might be Gentiles or uh, there might be Jewish apostate. Maybe no longer they're following the Jewish covenant. Maybe. But we don't know the detail here. But one thing, one thing that we can clearly see is the faithlessness of the people. They didn't care about what was really happening. They didn't care about Jesus freeing this man who's been tormented by the demons for many, many, many years, whom they knew. They didn't care about all that. They were just care about what? My business, my pigs, gone. Jesus, please leave. You have no business here with us. What a reaction, isn't it? Jesus is doing the ministry of restoration. Instead of being part of that restoration, they just reject Jesus. But is it true even today? People don't care about God. People don't care about faith anymore. I mean, it is understandable for the non-Christians to do so, but I'm actually talking about Christians today. What do we value the most? God and His Word? Or His ways? Or our business, our money, our families, our livelihood? What is happening in the culture? Really? That's more important to you? That you're willing to change or distort what the Bible says? Something to think about. Money is that important to you? You cannot take the money when you are dead. It's going to be all someone else. 
But really? Is that what you want? Temporary pleasure. Sinful pleasure. Still is sin, but it's good. Feels good for a moment. So people live for that, really? You're willing to trade God and His Word and all the blessings that you can receive from Him for the sake of the momentary pleasure of the flesh? Hmm. Get away, Jesus. I reject you. Look at these people. But these people are not just people. It's a us many times in our country, in our churches today. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's us. We need to think straight here. We need to examine clearly. What is more important? Who is more important? But if you come to Jesus, oh, he will restore you. He will not just restore you spiritually, but holistically in every way. It might take some time, but he will teach you how to manage your life. When the spirit, your spirit is changed and restored, guess what? It's going to start affecting every aspect of your life. It will take some time because you have a habit of sitting against God for many, many years and a habit of doing your own thing for many, many years. But, oh, if your spirit is changed and spiritually restored, guess what? God will teach you how to be faithful in every way. Even in your career, in your finance, in your relationships, in your kids and children. He's going to teach us. That means he's doing the restoration. He's restoring you as a holistically. Not just spiritually, but first spiritually, physically, financially relationally, mentally, every way. Amen? Something to think about. Jesus restores. Last but not least, Jesus redirects. Let me expound this on this point. What does it mean, redirects? Look at verse 19. Jesus did not let this man uh, go with him. He said, Go home to your own town and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, this man wanted to go with Jesus after he was restored. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Let me go with you, just like one of your disciples. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not going to let you come with me. Go home to your own people. Most likely, this, guy, this man was Gentile. Go home. Go to your town and tell them about me. Tell them about the Lord, what the Lord has done for you. That was his calling, wasn't it? Now he has a purpose. Go to your own people. He, in a way, Jesus redirects his life. Lord, I want to do this. No, no, no. You go do that. Lord, I did not have nothing to do in my life. Now I have a meaning and purpose. I want to follow you. Right now, I want to go with you. No, no, no. Now you find the purpose. But you, you go over there. That's your calling. That's your purpose now. 
Go to your hometown and tell them about me. Tell them about what God has done for you. Huh? You see that? He redirects you. Now Jesus is the Lord whom this man must obey and follow. Wow. Now he has a clear purpose in life. What is it? To being a witness of Jesus to his own people. What is God's calling for your life? The one thing noted to note here is this. God's calling might not be what you want to do. I want to follow you, Jesus, this man said after the restoration. Jesus said, no, no, I know you want to come with me, but I have a different job for you. Go back to your own people. But of course this man doesn't have any Thing to say. Of course he will obey because he's, Jesus is now the Lord and Savior. Okay, whatever you say. Are you willing to obey what God is telling you to go? Perhaps you don't want to go sometimes. But he needs to redirect your life sometimes. But he is the Savior. He is the Lord. We must obey. We have no more option. After we are restored by Christ, free from bondage of sin, after we are cleansed from sin through forgiveness, now we let Jesus dictate, direct, let Jesus govern our lives. What we need to do is just simply obey, trust and obey. Jesus say, go. I will go. Amen? I know that most of you know that we are personally I heavily involved with the Philippine missions. That's why I go to the Philippines and even my dissertation is on the Philippines missions. And we will still do the missions and I will be going this year. Um, I tell you one of the things why Philippines? I don't know either. I never thought I would be a, going involved with the missions. That was the last thing that I wanted to do was do missions. As a matter of fact, I did not want to be a pastor. That was the last thing I wanted to do. But here I am. But one thing that I have to tell you, and I'll tell you, I can tell you this, when the Lord's calling is upon you, there's nothing, there's no more option. You just obey because it's the best thing for you. God's plan, God's will for your life is the best thing that you can involve yourself in. That's the only way. Question to all of us, are we willing to obey? Are you willing to obey as Jesus redirects your life? So Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He cleanses us. He sets us free. He restores us. Now he direct, redirects our lives. Only one question remains. What's your response? What are you going to do? What are you doing now? Let's pray.